Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. I'm glad you guys could uh, find time to get here. It's a cool spot in a hot, a hot place, so it's a good place to be this evening. It's an oasis. That's right. It's an oasis. So tonight, I think we'll probably be able to finish up Leviticus. There's uh, two chapters left, and one of them may take a while. The second one may, uh, may probably go pretty fast. And I have a bunch of numbers study guides over there. So if you'd like to pick up a number study guide so that you could be prepared for next week. Um, good. Uh, let me see. Let me open in prayer and then we'll start, okay? Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this group of people that uh, has found time in their schedule to come out and study your word. And I'd ask that you bless our conversation this evening. Your Torah is uh, indeed life. And help us to wrap our minds around it and just get some of the stuff, some of the information, some of the nuggets that you have for us. Um, we just thank you, Father God. In Yahushua's name, amen. Okay, so um, at the end of tonight, what I'd like to do is I, there's a, a poster here that Marvin actually found. It's at a website called thebibleproject.com and they have a lot of different uh, studies in there that you can go look at it and they have a nice summary of Leviticus and they have posters that go with some of the different books and so I put this up here and at the end of the class whenever we're finished uh, you can come up and you need to kind of come up and kind of look at it to figure out what's going on because it's kind of kind of fine text and everything but there's a, uh, a YouTube video that goes along with it and so we'll play that and it's a good way to kind of wrap this up uh, so that's, that's why that's there. Uh, let's see. Last week we talked about uh, the year of Jubilee and the way that land ownership was designed to work in Israel. And I don't know how you felt about that, but I, I remember when I first kind of finally got the drift of the what, what God was talking about, I thought that was really pretty neat, uh, the, the way that he designed everything with these 50-year go back to zero and start over plans, you know? Um, uh, it, it is just a great idea. It, it makes, it, I tell you what, it fits in with the cyclical nature of Hebrew thought in general. You know, everything we do is in cycles. Nature's in cycles, you know, the crops are in cycles, everything's in cycles. And so we have a 50-year cycle that has to do with how, uh, actually how you live your life and how, how things work between generations, if you will. So I think it's fascinating that, you know, God has this all figured out. And if uh, our forefathers had paid attention and been obedient, uh, this would have worked out really well. But they weren't. And, you know, that's uh, water under the bridge, as they say. We'll talk more about that. But anyway, I, I just found that really good. I enjoyed our discussion on Jubilee. And uh, it was fun. it's fun for me to think about the fact that uh, when God designed something with a 
a 50-year cycle, and we realize that we'll probably get to see one of those, uh, maybe two, but certainly not more than two, just one of those cycles in our lifetime. It's clear that his plan is spanning lifetimes. This is multi-generational, to say the least. And it's really interesting to me that here we are in the year 2017 looking back and seeing that this thing, you know, has been in place to some degree this entire time. So, you know, anyway, we'll talk more about that. Let's go where we are. Is there any other thoughts? Anybody want to say anything about, have you thought about uh, Jubilee and the stuff we talked about last, uh, last week? That's okay. We'll move on. Chapter 26. Um, before, I, before we read chapter 26, there's one other thing I want to talk about. There's a, uh, a thing you read about sometimes when you're looking at different Bible studies. It's called a suzerainty treaty. Have you ever, does anybody know what a suzerainty treaty is? Um, this is a, it's a, if you will, it's a, it's a literary form that was in play in, ancient, in the ancient Middle East. And what it typically was, it was the, the format that they would use when they wrote treaties between uh, different countries when one had just finished beating up on the other. Okay, so a suzerainty treaty was a treaty between a conquering king and the people that he had conquered. All right, and they always took the same form. The form uh, in general, I mean, I won't go into all the detail, but in general, it starts off with a history. And the history is always, uh, you know, it, it, the history makes a big deal about how great and powerful the king is, the king that did the conquering. Okay, doesn't say much about the people that were conquered, but it talks about what, you know, all the history, the glorious history of the conquering king. And um, then it goes on and talks about um, the king has conquered this, this group of people, and these are the way, this is the way these people now have to live. These are the things that this people has to do because they were conquered by this king. And so there's a whole bunch of rules and regulations. And then at the end of all the rules and regulations, there's a, a summary of... Uh, this is what's going to happen to you if you obey the rules and regulations, and this is what's going to happen to you if you don't. Um, and the idea is, is this king who's conquered you is really a good guy, and he's, if you'll just do what he's told you to do, he, all this is going to work out great. If you don't do what he's told you to do, then bad things are going to go happen, and here's what they're going to look like. Um, so this suzerainty treaty, this particular form, is uh, you can apply it to the whole Torah. The whole Torah was done this way. You know, Genesis and Exodus are books of history. Uh, Leviticus is the book of here's what you have to do. And um, we're going to read, the reason I say all that is chapter 26 of Leviticus is the first, not the last, but the first time where God, he's the suzerain, he's the, the conquering king. Uh, this is the first time that we encountered in the Bible uh, what God says are the benefits of doing what he says and the not-so-benefits of disobeying. So I wanted to just get that kind of out there. Yeah. Really? Really what? This is the first time? Any yeah, it's, the first time it's the first time so far. The same essential information appears in Deuteronomy. 
It appears in almost each one of the prophets in one form or another. And there's allusions to it all through the New Testament. So it's one of those kind of things where... So Israel kept messing up and he didn't give them a chance to say, well, here's the good parts. You just behave for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, is that? Is that... <laughs> well, I always like to point out whenever you read these things, the, the so-called blessings and curses or the, the benefits and the not so the benefits and the not benefits, if you will. Um, it's always the benefits are about a paragraph and a uh, paragraph long, and the not so benefits are like two and a half pages. <laughs> so, and of course, we're going to find out that they're incredibly prophetic. So, but there, the, this goes along with my theory that when it's important, God says it more than once because this information, like I say, this is the first time we've seen it so far in the Torah, but we see it yet once again in the Torah. And we see it like all the prophets. Almost each of the prophets has information of the same essential stuff. And then, like I say, it's in the, it's in the Gospels as well. It's in the, the New Testament. So anyway, enough said. Let's read it. Who would like to read chapter 26, uh, the first 13 verses? Good. Leviticus 26, verses 1 through 13. You shall not make idols for yourselves, and you shall not erect for yourselves a statue or a pillar. And in your land you shall not emplace a flooring stone upon which to frustrate, prostrate oneself. For I am Yahweh Elohecha, your God. My Sabbath shall you observe, and my sanctuary shall you revere. I am Yahweh. If you follow my decrees and observe my commandments and perform them, then I will provide your rains in their time, and the land will give its produce, and the tree of the field will give its fruit. Your threshing will last until the vintage, and the vintage will last until the sowing, and you will eat your bread in satiety, and you will dwell securely in your land. I will provide peace in the land, and you will lie down with none to frighten you. I will cause wild beasts to withdraw from the land, and a sword will not cross your land. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will pursue a hundred, and a hundred of you will pursue ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. I will turn my attention to you, and I will make you fruitful and increase you, and I will establish my covenant with you, and you will eat very old grain and remove the old to make way for the new. I will place my sanctuary among you, and my spirit will not reject you. I will walk among you. I will be God unto you, and you will be a people unto me. I am Yahweh Elohecha, who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, from being their slaves, I broke the staves of your yoke, and I led you erect. Okay. That's really good. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's really great. Um, so uh, we'll dismember this in, in some detail here, but let me, um, let's talk about it for just a second. Actually, I should point out the first two verses really belong in the previous chapter. Because they, but, but they're a good thing to read anytime because what do, what do those ter first two verses essentially say? You mean they're the, they're the end of the last parsha? Yeah, they go at the end of the last parasha, but right. yeah, the, what they say basically two things. This was the verse I was telling you about earlier 
there's like four different Hebrew words for idols, graven images, standing mm -hmm. images. They're all mm -hmm. they're separate. They're all separate, all separate words. Hebrew words. Okay, so that's the one thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't have anything to do with idols in any way, shape, or form. And keep it my, mentions four different ways, shapes, and forms. Keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. Can yeah. I talk about that? Yes, please. So there's a Yeshua there's the, in the gospel where Yeshua goes in and overturns the tables of the money chamber, the money chambers, mm -hmm. changers. Changers. Mm -hmm. um, it actually fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah, I want to say, I don't remember, 53 or 54, I'm not sure. That's okay. But if you read a couple of verses in front of that, or that's talking about, it's talking about the making, it was talking about not revering their Sabbath and not, and what they were doing was they were hiring somebody else to do the job of the money chambers on Shabbat. Yeah. So they weren't, they weren't revering his Sabbath and they weren't honoring, they weren't revering his, his, the, the, the temple and they weren't revering his Sabbath. So yeah. I just kind of an interesting connection there. I think that's very interesting. Because, because the whole chapter is about dealing with the bond servants and all that. Yeah. yeah. Before that. Yeah. That's good. Okay. I just, that was a little detail, like I say, kind of ties up to last week. But the, the real guts of what we're going to talk about tonight starts in, uh, in verse 3. And, and, of course, verse 3 is the key verse. It says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands. That's, that, that ought to be, you know, bold. Because the whole rest of the next 13 verses are glorious, wonderful things that are based on that if. Okay, so that's the if. But what are some of the things that... Uh, um, well, so, I, I divided them up into three different ways. So, go ahead. Commandments is mitzvot, mitzvot mm -hmm. yep. tai. Mm -hmm. The uh, the statutes is uh, bekutai. Okay. The walk is teleku, like halakha. Uh huh. We should remember. We should know some of these words. Halakha for sure. And and, and to keep them, tishmeru, like shomer. Okay. So, Guard them. So all those words, if you kind of, you know, knew the roots and, and, and recognized those, those are all important words to know, I yep. would say. I agree with that. I, I interrupted your thought. That's okay. I was just saying, I, I, for whatever reasons, I divided the, the benefits into three different classes. I decided there are uh, physical or material rewards for being obedient. What are some of the physical or material rewards? So much food to eat, you won't be able to eat it all, right? You'll be cleaning out last year's stuff to make room for this year's stuff. You'll be eating grapes while you're planting wheat and eating wheat while you're tending grapes. So what else does he say there? Well, that, basically, you're going to be uh, well-fed and very uh, materially satisfied. You have safety, no sword. Well, well, that was the other one. The next one is, is uh, what you might call mental or emotional rewards. That, that's another, I, I, I picked that. What are some of the mental rewards you get? I think one of the best ones is the one in verse, uh, I've got to put my glass on because I can't see. Verse 6, I will grant you peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. 
Now that's, that's, that's important. I mean, uh, I think about Israel now, and even now they're not necessarily there in that regard. Um, but what a privilege that is. Most of us have that. Most of us feel like we can go to bed at night and we're, uh, you know, we're safe, we sleep soundly, and he well, promises that. Yeah. If you lived in Tel Aviv versus Chicago. <laughs> yeah, you might feel that way. Who, what place is safer? Yeah, that's what I was saying. You might feel, you might feel like you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I do think he says will make our borders safe. And, you know, in this sense, in a sense, because of things going on, a lot of the world's borders aren't safe. Oh, absolutely. And so probably because we haven't been doing what he said. Oh, uh, most here, here. likely. Here, here, yeah. Um, then he says, you will, not be, uh, you will not be set upon by your enemies. Instead, you will be able to um, prevail over your enemies in all cases. You know, five of you will chase 100, and 100 of you will chase 10,000. So you're going to be successful. No, nobody's going to beat up on you. Now, to some degree, Israel enjoys that today because uh, a lot of their enemies are kind of afraid of them, which is a good thing, you know. But uh, I think they could, they could be doing better in that regard. Um, and then the third thing I said that you might consider were spiritual rewards. Uh, what are some of the spiritual rewards that, that Israel would get if they would obey? Yeah, Robert? Mm -hmm. well, yeah, you can... Yeah, I will have respect for you. Uh, he, said, he said, you will be my people. Right? My people, which is a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal, John. So what does that mean? To be my people? I, well, I know that, mm -hmm. but the respect part. Could it be like if I go to him with a petition in his courts, he will hear me? There you go. I will listen to you. I respect what you have to say because you're yep. doing what I told you to do. I, I'm required to yeah. listen to what you have to yeah. say. If, if you're obedient, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Let's see. Let's read some because they're kind of good. It said, I will keep my covenant with you. I will increase your numbers and I'll keep my covenant with you. You'll still be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. That, that word is used in mine quite a lot, abhor. In other words, um, I like having you around. <laughs> I'll, I'll tabernacle with you. I'll tabernacle with you. Uh, that's verse 11. My tent will be with your, in, in your tents. Yeah. It says, I will, verse 14, or 12 says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Okay. Won't reject you. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so that's great. Now, the other side of the coin, this is the, the positive thing. This is the, the if here is if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands. If you walk in the way that I tell you. Okay, that's the good part. So, does somebody want to read verses 14? We can, let's just break it up in half because it's kind of 14 through 35. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all of these commandments, then, and if you shall despise my statues, or if your soul abhorred my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. 
I will even appoint over you terror consumption and a burning ague and that shall consume the eyes and, the, and cause sorrow of the heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for the enemy shall eat it, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies, that they hate you, you shall reign over, and they shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all of this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sin. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. And I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number and your highway shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but, I will, but will walk contrary unto me, then I will also walk contrary unto you. And I will punish you yet seven times for your sin. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And we, when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread, again, again by weight, and they shall eat it, and be not satisfied. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I even will chastise you seven times for your sin. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcass of your idols, with my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries into desolation. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors, and I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies, which dwell therein, shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and I will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it is uh, lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest, and enjoy her Sabbaths. Keep going. One more verse. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths. When ye dwelleth upon it. Okay. Okay, so just so you get the idea, this is rather negative compared to the other, other paragraph, right? Uh, Lisa? I just wanted to note that here it says, and, and John said this before too, I've heard him say it. You know, if you, he says, if you behave casually with me mm -hmm. and refuse to heed me, because he said that I will, re I will deal towards you with casualness. And I think that that's an important concept because I think that it does refer back to the first verses, you know, the first verses of the chapter, that I am the Lord your God, mm -hmm. and you don't, you know, I am the one, I mm -hmm. am Yehovah, there is no, nobody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an important concept because we, because I think the nations and, you know, all of us, have oftentimes dealt casually with mm -hmm. God I agree with and that. just sort of put him on our little yep. Yep. 
I, I think it. I think the one that's even more powerful than that, though, is the one he repeats over and over again. In verse 14, he says, he says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees. And then in verse 18, he says, if after all this you will not listen to me. And in the verse 21, he says, if you remain hostile toward me and refuse to listen to me. And verse 23, he says, if in spite of all these things you do not accept my correction. And, and if, verse 27, if in spite of this you still do not listen to me. So what's the, what's the implication of saying that over and over and over again? Yeah, he's saying, I'm trying to get your attention. <laughs> Mark's got something. All these terrible things that you're experiencing are to get your attention. So this is the chapter that you hear me reference a lot when I say, when we're praying, praying the prayer of repentance, when I say that we are acknowledging that he walked contrary to us and we walked contrary to him, that Gary says that if we don't acknowledge our offenses and that this happened, this process is listed out here. And also, this seven times punishment mm -hmm. that, he's, that he's listing out here in, in this chapter, if you look at how many years the northern kingdom, uh, Elijah had to lay on his side for them, take that number, which was what, 390? Mm -hmm. Multiply it by seven, and you come up with 2,730 years. Mm -hmm. Subtract the year they went into exile, 722, yep. and you come to 2008. Yep. And whether or not the math is exactly right, I'm an engineer, and you're within 10%. That's good enough. You know? So the point is, is the time, the time is up, at least within plus or minus 10 or 20 years. And that's, from God's perspective, that's nothing, right? So, yeah, you're exactly right. Yep. I think that's why, that's why people are listening. Yeah. John? So I'm always reminded of David. I don't know where the verse is, but he prays to God to, uh, you know, hold off on the blessings. I'm, I'm worried that the blessings will distract me from who the one that's blessing me. I, I'm not yeah. saying it right, but that's yeah. the essence of the prayer. And it kind of reminds me of the number of verses that describe the blessings are small, <laughs> but the, the ones that are the curses are much larger. So well, you know, I've often of, thought when I, I'm, this is just me. But when I think about our country, you know, and I, I, I think about my life and how it's changed since I've been living here, um, it's like our blessings ruined us. Whenever we got so blessed, we forgot who the blesser was, and we started taking things for granted, and we started going our own way. It's like he can't afford to bless us too much. That's what David was praying, I think. Don't bless us too much, because if you do, you know, this is what's going to happen. Marvin? Basically, what he's saying, if you want to really summarize it, he's, he's looking at a people that are disobeying him, and he's dealing out a set of, of punishments. And mm -hmm. then he says, if that didn't fix it, we'll, we'll ratchet it up. Yep. And he does that three, I think it's three times. Yep. Four, and, actually. And, yeah, and then he moves them out of the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The... Um, one of the things that just never fails to astonish me about this, uh, you know, the, these, these verses are awfully prophetic, right? Because we can go, we can, for the example, the eat your own sons and daughters, that's just gross. But we can find the places in history where it happened, you know? So this was written theoretically 
about 3,500 years ago, you know, about 1500 BC. But we can prove that it was written at least 2,000 years ago because we've got copies of things that are certifiably 2,000 years old that have these same words in it. So um, there is nothing on earth like that. This is incredible that this could have been written so long ago, and yet it, it, it just tells the story exactly. It's, if, if this doesn't make you believe in God, I don't know what would, you know, because it's, uh, who, could, who could do this? It, it therefore authenticates it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, good word. Anyway, so the point is, is he says, these bad things that are happening to you are my way of trying to get your attention. I keep trying to get your attention. And he even gives a hint over there in uh, um, the end of the passage that we read where he says in verse 34, the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. So it's basically saying, um, <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that you've done that, well, okay, I'll kind of put it. The prophetic nature of this is hard to, hard to deny since we're sitting here looking back on it. But what he's basically telling them back then was, if you don't do these things that I'm telling you do, specifically the Shemitah, if you don't do that, then I'll do it myself. You know, I'm going to take those years. And you can either, the way I always put it, is you can either be a willing participant or not. But he's going to get them. Yeah. So I like to say the phrase, I'm so poor I can't pay attention. There so you go. he'll get your attention by yeah. making you poor yeah. and punish you, yeah. punishing you. Yeah, I often think about that with respect to some of our, our friends or even our relatives, you know, that, uh, that you'd like them to understand this and they don't seem to be the least bit interested. And, you know, I, I don't want this, but I, it's almost like they're asking, as I pray for their salvation, I'm basically asking for life to make God to make life hard enough for them that they end up having to come to him. And that's kind of a, I don't like that, but it seems to be what's required for a lot of people. So again, sooner or later, you need to come to the conclusion that you're going to be used by God. You can either be like Pharaoh or you can be like Moses, you know, but you're going to be used one way or the other. So anyway, also he says he, uh, the, the, prophetic nature. He says, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out my sword and pursue you. Uh, certainly you could say that about the Jews, but you could also say it about us, right? Uh, that is uh, the Ephraimites, because, you know, since 722 B.C., we've just been running around, right? Does someone want to read from 36 to the end of the chapter? remain I will bring weakness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies so that the sound of a driver leave will put them to flight and they will flee as one flees from the sword and fall even when no one is pursuing they will stumble over one another as if before the sword when no one pursues and you will have no strength to stand before your enemies. 
you will perform among the nations and the land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left in the land of your enemies will rot away because of their iniquity. And because of the iniquities of their fathers, they will rot away with them. But if they confess their iniquity and that of their fathers and the treachery they committed against me and how they walked contrary to me, in return I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And if at that time their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they accept the punishment for the iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with, with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy Shepatot while it lies desolate without them, and they will accept the punishment of their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I hate them into utter destruction and break my covenant with them, for I am Adonai, their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am Adonai. These are the statutes, ordinances, and laws which Adonai made between himself and Benai Israel at Mount Sinai by Moses. Yep. Now that's, boy, that's a nice hopeful thing, but we can see a lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, one of the things that I think is really kind of interesting, well, first of all, he says you're going to be running even though nobody's chasing you. You know, the sound of a leaf falling is going to scare you to death. That sounds great, doesn't it? Um, they will stumble over one another as though fleeing from the sword even though no one's pursuing them. Um, verse 38, it says, You will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you. This term perish is the Hebrew word, I wrote it down somewhere here. Well, I can't read right now. But anyway, it, it basically means to become lost. Okay, so it's saying, it's not, it's not that you will become destroyed, you will become lost. You will, you will lose your identity, is basically what it says. You won't know who you are. You will be in these other lands and you won't, you'll lose your identity. And what's happened? Exactly that, right? Um, you will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins and also because of their father's sins. There it makes clear it's not just theirs. Um, it's, uh, one of the things, you know, in that movie, the, the way it talks about this guy came to the conclusion that he was the product of inherited religion, okay? That's what we were. 
We were the product of inherited religion. That's the part of this that is the fault of our forefathers. And that's why we have to ask for their forgiveness too, you know, because they were following inherited religion. What we've been doing is things, wrong things that have been passed down from generation to generation. And so as we repent, we have to say, you know, we repent for us being wrong, but we repent for our forefathers that were wrong too. Uh, yeah, John? Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's when I first kind of wrapped my head around that, that's, those are really powerful verses. Yeah. Because if you, like us, we're trying to get back and do that and honor the Torah and be blessed by the Torah. Well, our fathers did something to prevent that from happening. And the requirement to go back to, to the Torah is to confess the iniquities of the fathers. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that could be a lot of things. I mean, it could be, you know, I, I would say it's the so-called church fathers who yep. said that the Torah has been done away with. Yeah amongst other things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, an interesting thing here that it uses the word disintegrate. It says, because of the iniquity, your remnant will disintegrate in the land of your foes. And, and because of the iniquity of your forefathers are with them as well, they will disintegrate. And I just thought, in a way, we're the ones sort of disappearing or that you know what I mean we're not disappearing totally but it's amazing that he even knows who we are yep yep because because we've become so diffused mm -hmm. yeah that time by then so it goes on there in verse uh, 46 or 40 it says but if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers their treachery against me and their hostility toward me which made me hostile toward them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin. Okay. The uncircumcised hearts, I always like to point out. Wait that, a minute. That's just in the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always like to point out that the uncircumcised heart is a very real thing in the Torah. And it's not like whenever you were taught, you know, in church that it was a New Testament thing. No, no. God knew exactly what it was or they did too. They knew what it was. But he goes on, he says, and they will pay for their sin. Now, I think this is kind of an important concept because it's not, it's not necessarily that, um, you know, you, you have to go out and do 14 years of hard labor breaking rocks or something like that. The, the paying for your sin are simply the consequences of it. You know, because you did this, then uh, these things overtake you. And so it's not like God's doing this out of, I'll teach you. That's not it at all. It's just the, the natural consequences of what you've done. And he's more than generous to say, if, you're, you know, if your uncircumcised heart becomes soft and you repent and you acknowledge your treachery and what you've done, uh, then he goes on. He says, I haven't destroyed you all. You know, yeah. Well, he told you that up front in Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, where he says, I will, uh, if you provoke me to jealousy, I will curse you to the third and the fourth generation. So maybe you won't pay, but your children's and your children's children and your children's 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 will, yep. will pay. Yep. So it's, it, it shows the, the, how much you need to be on guard about keeping the covenant working properly. Yeah, yeah Can, to, to go a little farther with that, it shows, and this is something I'm just now kind of getting my head around. It shows that this is not just about 
us. It's not just about you or me. It's about those that come after us as well. And I think about this a lot with respect to my kids. I mean, I've lived a pretty nice life, but a lot of it is because the society in which I grew up in had a lot of things that worked well in my, you know, in, in my favor and that I was able to do that. You know, I got to tell you, it's not going to be that way in the future. And even now, it's not as good as it was when I was growing up. You know, so, and I feel bad about that because my kids are going to end up paying for that. And it's not really their fault any more than it is my fault, any more than it was my parents' fault. I mean, it's, it's this, it's the fact that uh, we've been this inherited religion thing for hundreds of years. Yeah. So I want to, about the inherited religion. You know, you, if you talk to the vast majority of Christianity, which is what I would call antinomian Christianity, they're against the Torah. Clearly, they're having a problem. They would be have a problem with this. <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't be in alignment with this. They nope. wouldn't think it's nope. talking about them. Yep. And it's people like, well, you ask them, well, where's your authority for, for not doing the Torah? Well, this church father says this, and this church father says that, as if they have got a covenant with them or something. Yep. But later on, he tells you, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, with Isaac, and with Abraham. Yep. So he, at the end of this confession, I just think it's neat how it's connected Brace. there. Yep. That, let me remind you where the covenant is. It goes back here at Mount Sinai yep. and before that. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, I've, I've heard this said, and I, I think about it often because it, it, makes, you, it makes your mind kind of do double takes. But, you know, God knew about you and about me when he was talking to Abraham. You know, all of this had laid out. He knows how all of this is laying out. And he knows exactly what's going on. And he knows who we are, and he knows what, you know, what our responsibility is, how, we're, how this is going to play out. And to, have, to realize that he knew that back then is pretty amazing, given that it was 4,000 years ago or something. <laughs> so, yep. Well, that's what I even like about Moses saying it, because Moses knew... You know, obviously he knew too that we were, you know, he, God showed him that yeah. we're just going to be a bunch of, well, you know, you know whatever, we're going to screw up. We're going to have this, you know? uh, a very similar discussion at the end of Deuteronomy. And at the end of yeah. Deuteronomy is nothing but a big Moses monologue. And at the end of Deuteronomy, he says similar things. He says, if you guys will just behave, if you'll just be obedient, if you'll just follow the Torah, and then about a paragraph and a half of good stuff. And then he says, but if you don't, and then he goes on, but if you don't, and then he goes on. And finally he says, but when you don't. So, you know, he quits saying if, he says when. Because, yeah, he knows. He knows. Yeah. The, uh, Maybe he was talking to him and everybody was just kind of looking around. Oh, yeah. and paying attention. <laughs> like, well, eventually, I didn't know these guys aren't going to follow very well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> verse 45, 45 no, verse 44, starting in 44, he says, Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or abhor them so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am Yahweh their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations, to be their God. I am Yahweh. So, if they confess the iniquities of their fathers, yeah. right? Isn't that all yeah. under this if statement? It is. It is, but isn't it encouraging to know that that's happening? To me, it is, and it well, is happening. 
I mean, there's us, but we're not the only ones. It's encouraging that it's there. It's right well, now. <laughs> that's fine. Janice has something. I think um, it's important for us to really realize, you know, where we're at as Israel and not think that, you know, because we realize we're Israel and we've come back to the Father that we don't have iniquity to repent of and transgressions to repent of, you know, because we do. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why we're, that's why we have, you know, we're not completely free and, and, and walking in freedom. But iniquity is, is the inherited sin from the fathers and in the... Um, and, and what it is is the, the, the gaw, and the gaw looks like a DNA, a twisted strand. And so that's, that's a, it's the gaw and it's the yod, and it means guilt. So, um, so, so it really is literally our DNA, our ancestral DNA. So if we can, you know, ask the Father what ancestral um, demonic things are in, in, our, in our DNA, he'll tell us what they are. And we can repent for those iniquities mm -hmm. and renounce them and ask the Father to show us, you know, what is the onset? Where do they come in? Were they generational? Or were they transgressions that came in through our own conscious sin? Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's, there's, there's three different ways that a demon can come unto us is, is through iniquity, which is generational, through uh, our own sin, and through, um, through, uh, through, uh, also perpetrator sin that come upon us. So that's three ways that we can receive sin from other people, mm -hmm. or, or, or three ways we can receive sin. So we can take those all three to the Father and ask him to cleanse us and purify us, renounce those sin on behalf of perpetrators, on behalf of our generational forefathers, and on behalf of ourselves, and mm -hmm. be completely free. Mm -hmm. Yep, but then it's up to us to do but the we commandments. We have to do it, we have to do it. You know, on the other hand, too, I see the blessings through my family, the, the blessings that have been passed down as well as the curses because, you know, I know that my family was messed up and everything, but I see also that there had to be people that were walking righteously in, within our, mm -hmm. our DNA because, um, because he's been faithful. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been amazingly faithful, especially like I have a family that you know, who yep. would know, you know, and, and I think that I've seen so many miracles, you know, that I think that, um, you know, somebody had to be. Well, well your point's well taken. Praying. I tell you, when I get into a situation, or just to relate to what you're saying, it's always fun for me to realize how totally screwed up Jacob's family was, right? right? I mean, you would have to hard time to find one that was worse than that. Right. And, and. God's, he, he's basically in the process of redeeming them. Like so, yeah. Said, like you said, he doesn't forget his covenant. No, even if no. It's, and that's the, that's the whole beauty to this thing. It's him that's doing this. All we have to do is pay attention and commit to doing it. Yeah, I agree with uh, what Lisa's saying, that we have blessings down through our ancestors. And then... I look at myself as a parent, and then I start thinking of Adam and Eve. They they really messed up, mm -hmm. but yet there was a provision for them. Mm -hmm. They had the sacrifice that was for them, and so this. And yet, number forty-four, the verse forty-four, and yet, yep. after all that, <laughs> it's like okay, even though you've done all that, yeah. 
And that's the way with your children, they mess up. They're still your children. Yep, they are. <laughs> they are. And, and you can, yeah. I mean, I feel like when I pray for them, I need to have the confidence that yeah. God, God hears that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, that's a hope. Yep. And I think that's a hope for, for a parent, even yep. when you start out as young parents with yeah. little children and you, you're old parents with great children and yeah. great grandchildren, and yeah. you still hope for them and you see if they're messing up. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, you try to talk to them and yep. sometimes they listen. Most, Most of the, the time, they, they don't. don't. <laughs> because, <laughs> Boy, I agree because 100%. we're we're has-beens, yep, yep. and it's uh -huh. their world now, yep, and and yep. they have to find out the hard way. Sad yeah, to say, yeah. but, but I think I think just that that Yahweh is our heavenly Father provides that sacrifice for the sin. Yep, that we can be redeemed. Yeah, and Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, Hallelujah. I think that this, in spite of the negative nature of all of this stuff, it's it's very hopeful. Because it, it definitely shows that God's in charge and it shows he's a forgiving father. And he shows he wants, you know, the part we have to play is not that hard. You know, like I say, you just have to, you have to, you know, you just pay attention. Then verse 46 says, these are the decrees, the laws, and the regulations that Yahweh established on Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses. So the main purpose of that sentence, in my mind, is to point out that's where they've been, right? Since the middle of Exodus, we haven't moved. They've been there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And all of the stuff in this entire book, plus half of the book before it, has taken place at that one spot. Uh, and the book of Leviticus, I mean, well, okay, we should finish it before we kind of summarize it. What other, what other thoughts do you have about the, the, the blessings and the cursings, if you will? I think, like I say, it's, it's pretty cool that it's so um, prophetic. And it, and it basically says, you know, you're going to get scattered to the nations and you're going to forget who you were. That's what it says. But that's okay because I kept track. <laughs> and if you just soften your heart and repent, you know, admit what you've done, come back. Okay. Um, Chapter 27. Chapter 27, um, in my opinion, is something that they forgot to put in somewhere else because it, it almost like doesn't fit. But it, uh, it concerns uh, two different kinds of, of sacrifices. There's uh, the term um, devoted to the Lord and then dedicated devoted to Yahweh and dedicated to Yahweh. And there's Hebrew for both of those, and I've got that written down over here somewhere. Um, and what this is, the, 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 the chapter is entitled uh, Evaluations. And what, what it is, it's how you can redeem those things that have been dedicated to the Lord. But you don't get to redeem those things that have been devoted. We'll read about it, okay? Um, chapter 27. Let's see. Up through verse 15. Would someone like to read the first 15 verses of that chapter?
And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man separates a vow by your evaluation of lives until Yahuwah, when your evaluation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your evaluation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the Kodesh place. And if it is a female, then your evaluation shall be 30 shekels. And if from five years old up to 20 years old, then your evaluation for a male should be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a month old up to five years old, then your evaluation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for a female, your evaluation shall be three shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above, if it is a male, then your evaluation shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your evaluation, then he shall present himself before the Kohen, and the Kohen shall lay a value for him. According to the ability of him who vowed, the Kohen shall value him. And if it is a beast of which they bring an offering to Yahuwah, all such given to Yahuwah is Kodesh. He is not to replace it or exchange it, good for spoilt or spoiled for good. And if he at all exchanges beast for beast, then both it and the one exchange for it is Kodesh. And if it is any unclean beast of which they do not bring an offering to Yahuwah, then he shall bring the present, the beast, before the Kohen. And the Kohen shall value it, whether it is good or spoiled, according to your evaluation or Kohen, so it shall be. But if he indeed redeems it, then he shall add one-fifth to your evaluation. And when a man kodosh his house to be kodesh to Yahuwah, then the Kohen shall value it, whether it is good or spoiled. As the Kohen values it, so it stands. And if he who kodosh it redeems his house, then he shall add one-fifth of silver of your evaluation to it, and it shall be his. Okay. Um, so, boy, if you can figure out what's going on there, you're doing pretty good, right? Uh, the, the term that, the Hebrew term for that is you, 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 kadesh is what you said, and that's the Hebrew term. And the way they translate it in mine is uh, uh, dedicates. Okay. What this is, this is covers the uh, free will offerings. You can give things to, uh, uh, to, to God, and they don't have to be money. You can give them, you know, goods. Um, and what this allows the priests to do is to allow you, as the giver, to redeem them. That is, you can, uh, you can give them the value of it, plus 20%, and you can get it back. And this has got a lot of different things that, that this is what I've read about it, that, uh, you know, the, if you don't do that, the priests can end up with tons and tons of stuff that they don't even need. Because, you know, somebody says, well, you know, I vowed that if God would do so-and-so for me, I'd give him this, and so here it is. And the priest says, well, I appreciate the fact that you've done that, but I've already got 14 of those. I don't need that. You know, and so this allows uh, for a way for the person to, to get the thing back and give them money instead. That's what this is for. It's, that's why they use the term redeem. You, know, you can redeem the, 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 the thing that you've dedicated to God. So, uh, and that's what some of these are. Let's see, you want to talk about that? Hold on. Like what? If you've made a vow to God, right? making a vow to God, you're dedicating something to him, that's a very serious thing. Sure. And what this is, this says the priests essentially, according to these guidelines, get to value that. 
And so if you want to have it back, you can pay that value plus 20% and have it back. In which case, you could just give them the value in 20% in the first place and not even do it. So it's, it's a little bit of switch-o, change-o. I'm not real crazy about it. That's why I think it doesn't even belong here. But that's, um, but that's what it's about. This is setting up valuations for things that have been dedicated to God. And the people, what you're doing here, I'll tell you the best example of this people thing is uh, uh, Hannah, right? When mm -hmm. Hannah, in 1 Samuel, it talks about when Hannah was uh, so despondent because she couldn't conceive, and she said, if you would give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. And so she gave him to, uh, to the priests. Now, she, did, she didn't, you don't have to redeem it, right? And so she gave him to the priests, and he stayed there. Oh, you're just saying if they already gave it to the priests. Yes. Then they could redeem it for money. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean if I didn't make that clear. No, because I, I, in my head, I was getting it. No, that, that, that's what it is. And, um, I, again, I, to me, it's like, it's like they finished the book of Leviticus, and they said, oh, I forgot this part. And they stuck that on there. But I don't, I shouldn't, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be irreverent about it. It's just, yeah. So I'm just trying to figure out what's, what's going on here. It almost sounds like a banking thing to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for, I'm assuming it's for poor people that can't just give, here's a free will, I want to give a free will offering because I want to, I want to do that, but I don't. Well, I don't know that it's necessarily for poor people per se. I think, like I say, I think a lot of it's for the priests because if they didn't, if they didn't do something like this, they would end with all kinds of stuff, you know, that they didn't have any use for. Well, that's what I, that, that's the banking kind of, I'm, I'm just thinking here. Yeah. Uh, they could use that. I've got a bunch of stuff over here that I got from Joe, and Fred over here, well, he turns out he needs that stuff. Yeah. So I can use those resources where they're needed. Yeah. I mean, it's not just for him. If, if it's in the control of the priest, they can do whatever they want to with it. And if they want to give it to somebody else who could get more use out of it. Yeah, but a lot of times they don't give it to somebody else. They let somebody else redeem it. Well, it's like putting putting your some something you have up in hawk. Eh, it's kind of like that. And then you, if you want it back, you can redeem it. Yeah. For a fee. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the the pawn shop is a bank of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm a little sure, weird to me, but that's what I get well, out of the it. The weirdness of it, of it is, I agree that it's it's here. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like. A tiny little chapter in the middle of two books, yeah. numbers and yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It is kind of like that. Um, the I, I've done a lot of reading on this particular thing because it's always been confusing to me. But one of the things is they they assume that this might really have been added later, that you know that it wasn't uh, wasn't there when Moses wrote the thing. Well, I don't know. I don't know whether I want to go there or I, not. But I'm more interested in what it's what it's trying to tell us. Uh huh. Is, is that kind of, do you, do no, you I agree with what you're saying, way? yeah. We haven't finished because then we get to the other one here in a minute. Well, that's what I was going to say is there's more, there's more to come, but it sounds like to me they're setting up a, a storehouse, a store. Well, yeah. Giving, giving they're, 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 they're basically trying to establish some uh, consistency in the, in the value of certain things that are, that are given to God. That's, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, and there might be just like, I got a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I'm sure someone else could do it. 
I'm not going to worry about who, who might benefit from it. I'll let the priest, the priest deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's part of this, this bit about exchanging. You know, you, you say, I'll, uh, I'll so dedicate to, this animal to the, to the priests. He's got to have an accounting. What is this? Okay, this is, this is what this thing's worth right now. Let's yeah. write that down. Here's one. Who gave it to me? There's what, how much it was. Yeah. That, that's kind of what this is. Biblical Margaret. banking. A few years ago when I was a lot younger, I had a problem with the first few scriptures here in the estimation of old people. <laughs> <laughs> and now that I'm a mayor, yeah. I can understand why. <laughs> Just, That's funny. Yeah, I can yeah. only do half the work, or yeah, I can yeah, do yeah. it, but it's going to take me twice as long. Yeah, know? yeah. So. Well, there's usually always a discussion we get into about how yeah. come the women are worth less. I mean, that's another well, thing. Well, but that's I can I can understand that because I try. I used to do stuff when when I was able to, uh, yeah. and now I have no strength. It's, yeah, it, it's yeah. like yeah, well, a man has certainly a lot more strength than a yeah, woman, yeah, and so when there. it comes to physical labor. That yeah. you can move stuff around. They're, they're yeah. better at plowing and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's read some more here. Um, I want to get to... Verse 27. So would someone like to read from where we are? Let's see. Verse 14. Did we go through... Yeah, let's 14 to 27. Would somebody like to read from 14 to 27? Ralph, or Alfonso, where did you stop? Where did you stop? Well, no, it was... I thought he stopped at 15. 15. So you went a little farther than you wanted, I think. Okay. So 16 to where? 16 to, work? to 27. Who I want to, to stop at 27. Alfonso, let it... He's having a good time. And if a man kadosh to Yahuwah, a field he owns, then your evaluation shall be according to the seed for it, a homer of barley seed at 50 shekels of silver. If he kadosh his field from the year of Yobel, according to your evaluation, it stands. But if he kadosh his field after the Yobel, then the Kohen shall reckon to him the silver due according to the years that remain till the year of Yobel, and it shall be deducted from your evaluation. And if he who kadosh the field would redeem it, then he shall add one-fifth of silver of your evaluation to it, and it shall be his. And if he does not redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it is no longer redeemed. But the field, when it is released in the Yobel, is kodesh to Yahuwah as a dedicated field to be the possession of the Kohen. And if a man kadosh to Yahuwah a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the Kohen shall reckon to him the amount of your evaluation up to the year of Yobel, and he shall give your evaluation on that day, Kodesh to Yahuwah. In the year of Yobel, the field returns to him from whom he bought it, to him who is the possession of the land. And all your evaluations are to be according to the shekel of the Kodesh place, 20 garaz to the shekel. However, a firstborn of the beast, which is firstborn to Yahuwah, no man Kodesh it. Whether bull or sheep, it belongs to Yahweh. And if among the unclean beasts, then he shall ransom it according to your evaluation and shall add one-fifth to it. 
And if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your evaluation. Okay. Okay, so this is more of that. It, it has to do also with the, the fact that it doesn't violate the rules of Jubilee. That is, you know, you can, you can, dedicate, uh, you can dedicate something to God that's uh, part of your family lands, and you calculate its value based on the number of years left until the Jubilee. And then you use that for the, the right calculation, and then they can redeem it. At the end of Jubilee, it goes back to where the original owner had it anyway. Right? It also doesn't override that Yahweh always gets the firstborn of the, ma the one yep. that breaks the matrix. Yep, yep, matrix. yep. That's, uh, that was that last verse. Um, no one can dedicate the firstborn of an animal uh, since the firstborn already belongs to God. So, so you don't get to do that. Yeah. It's also interesting that he talks about unclean beasts. So that's not the problem. The, 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 there isn't a problem necessarily that you have unclean beasts. Yeah. It's whether you eat them or not. <laughs> that's absolutely true. That's a very good so, point. So, you know, you could argue whether you want to be in the pig farm business. Yeah, but then you'd have to ask, why in the world would you want a pig if you're not going to eat it? Well, just to think about, just, just, just to give you an example. Hunt of the, for truffles. No. <laughs> well... <clears throat> The example I have is this this guy, this Joel, whatever his name is, Stanton. He uses pigs to <laughs> plow up all the all all the uh, the ground cover because they're digging for corns, and he's using them to to stir things up, to stir the. To okay. Uh, just an example. Just I wouldn't, an example. I wouldn't necessarily do it, but you know, it, it, Yahweh created the pig. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's an evil thing. It's just not right to eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why well, I said... You don't eat a horse either. Yeah, but. That's, that's why I was saying. A horse, you can see why you'd have a horse um, because, you you know, he pulls plows or, or carriages or something like that. But uh, I, I'm honestly hard-pressed to... I don't know enough about agriculture to come out to hell beans anyway. I don't know why you'd want a pig for any other reason. Yeah, okay. Okay, fine. But you're right. The issue with pigs... It's not having them, it's eating them. Right. Yeah. So, but, and what this says is, is uh, if I understand it right, is that the, number one, you can't, you can't dedicate the firstborn, whether it be a clean animal or an unclean animal, to God, because it's already his. Well, you can't, yeah. I, That's what it's basically saying there. But it's saying if you, dedic or if you dedicate an unclean animal, um, then you can redeem it, or the priest can sell it. That's what it says. So, if we wanted to build our own Torah-gated community, okay, would we? Would it make sense to emulate this type of thing, this kind of practice of assuming this is a proper understanding of this way of? Which, by the way, is a big assumption. But yeah, well, that it's a, it's a form of banking. It's a form of of allowing people to yeah to have the priest in charge of the storehouses, the excess. Yeah, I, maybe. I'd have to think about that some. I think the main goal here is to make sure that the, the value set on these things is consistent. I think that's really what the, the goal of this is, is to make sure that... that uh, well, we're identifying another role that the priests play. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're accountings. Yeah. They're accountants. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they, they're to ensure integrity, I think, right. uh, in, in the value of stuff. Right. That's my opinion. Evaluators? 
Okay, but the last one, the last one's a little tricky. That's the one that's not, as you kept calling it, Kadesh. Uh, Kadesh is the dedicated. What? Last oh, one, you want to read the last part? What Fine. Verse? You, can, <laughs> you can read the last part, starting at verse uh, 38. 28, excuse me, 28. 28 to the end of the chapter. Okay. However, any segregated property that a man will segregate for the sake of Yahavah, and that word isn't Kadosh, it's Haram, but um, from anything that is his, whether human, animal, or the field of his ancestral heritage, may not be sold and may not be redeemed. Any segregated item may be most holy to Yahavah, and any condemned person shall be banned from mankind any condemned person who shall be banned from mankind shall not be redeemed he shall be put to death any tithe on the land of the seed of the land of the fruit of the tree belongs to Yehovah it is it is set apart for Hashem if a person shall redeem some of his tithe he shall add his fifth to it any tithe of the cattle of the flock any that passes under the staff the tenth shall be holy to Yahavah. He shall not distinguish between good and bad, and he should not substitute for it. He does not, if he does not substitute for it, and if it substitute, if he does, if he does, and if he does substitute for it, then it and its substitute shall be set apart. It may not be redeemed. These are the commandments that Yehovah commanded Moses to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Okay, so starting there in verse 28, it's Hazel, a whole Hazel. different category. It uses the word that you, you said, that word, karim. Karim. Mine translate as devote, devoted. It's devoted to God. But it's different than dedicated or kadesh. So the words are kadesh and karim. And they, they have to do with different, uh, the different, um, I don't know, the different way of giving, if you will. And the point about devoting is, is that you don't get it back. You know, devoting you can't redeem. Well, All right? Yes? Maybe I mis misunderstood it, but it's, what they're talking about now is if you want to borrow against your tithe. No. No, no that's, that's not, I don't think that's it, what it is. If you did that, you paid an extra, there's a well, you surcharge can, on that. Well, I think that might be included here, but I think it's got more to do with this other type of, uh, of uh, giving, this devotion, devoted, an item devoted. Because some items are devoted to destruction. The main example of an item devoted to destruction is a person who's been found guilty of a capital crime. Well, yeah, obviously you're okay. not going to redeem that. Back. Well, that, that's the point. You can't redeem that, and you can't redeem these other items that it lists. Um, so what is 31 talking about? Well, that moves into the tithe. The, the word tithe doesn't even show up until verse 30. Okay, I'm jumping ahead then. Yeah, no, that's okay. The, it also does talk about the tithe. And the, the thing about devoted, the main difference between these two, if you ask me, is that dedicated items are things that you've offered free will. Now, they may have been offered on an oath. You know, you may have said, if so-and-so, if God blesses me in this way, I will do this, I will give this. So it may be that, but you've done this of your own free will. Devoted items are things that are required of you. 
So some people, you have to tell them if you actually devote something that you can't get it back. Like if I give this away, then I don't get a chance to get it back. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. But uh, you that's... Wouldn't think, you wouldn't think you'd have to tell, explain that to people. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't think so, would you? But that's a good point. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not doing any better with this than what it says, but that's, it's, a, it's a complicated subject to me. Yeah. So these items that are devoted uh, are essentially given to the priests, and they're not redeemable. They belong to God. They've been set aside for God, and they're God's forever to use for whatever he wants to. This says the word harem is customarily used to denote destruction or something banned from human enjoyment. In the context of this passage, it refers to a person's expressed resolution to consecrate an object and thus make it forbidden for personal use. Yeah. There are two kinds of harem. One that is um, bekek, bekek habit, habait, the temple treasury, and the other is a gift for the and the other is a gift for Kohanim and becomes their private property. The harem of the temple is used for maintenance for other temple needs. Okay, so, but, so but basically these are things that uh, are given to the priests or to God with no expectation of getting it back or anything. They're completely set aside for him to use for whatever his purposes might be. You, you did a quit claim deed on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's his. Now, why there are two different kinds, I'm not too sure, but I've been led to believe that these things that are dedicated um, are redeemable so that accounting can be done. There's, well, not, there's probably not much accounting that goes here. You know, it's, I mean, you can probably account it if you want to, but the point is, is, as you said, once you've given it, you've given it. Well, that's, it's it's that's, off your books and on God's books, and that's the end of it. <laughs> That's why I'm suggesting this is the first part is about the concept of banking. That it's, the, you know, why are they doing this? Because mm -hmm. you need the, that, that concept of, of banking. Mm -hmm. and, this, and to distinguish from that other things like this, it's like there's no provision to get it back. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, like I say, I wish I could do a little better. I, maybe I could do some more research on this, but it's a, it's a tough topic for me. And it's at the very end. And I'm usually so glad to be done with Leviticus that I never, I say, oh, well, let's move on. <laughs> yep, which means, yeah, yeah. I would, I was, now that we're done with Leviticus. Say it again. Yeah. Hazak, hazak, venit, hazak. Be strong, be strong, and maybe be strengthened. That, that, that's a, a typical, uh, that's the traditional thing you say in Hebrew at the end of every book of the Torah. Whenever you finish studying the book, you say that. Yeah. The, the whole book. The whole book, yeah. Um, see, I wanted to elaborate just for a minute. We talked, didn't we talk about chiasms one time in here? The chi being this Greek letter that looks like an X. And you could, you could view the Torah as a chiastic form. Uh, where you have, you have Genesis and Exodus, and then at the middle, where they cross, is Leviticus, and then you have Numbers and Deuteronomy. You could do that. And the Torah really is in the middle, I'm sorry, the Leviticus is in the middle for a reason. 
It's, uh, like I say, it's got almost no action in it. It's almost entirely, you know, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's about the priests, and we know it's, it applies to us because we're a priesthood. We're supposed to pay attention to these things. So anyway, that's, uh, it's a difficult book, but it's probably there's a reason that they start, when kids learn the Torah, this is the book they start with. Poor guys. So I want to know if there's any, any opinions now that we've finished Leviticus. Numbers, by the way, is going to be a lot more fun, but uh, yeah, I will. I will in just a minute. I just want to make sure that there's nothing other than no other comments. I expected to have rousing discussions about all that's in Leviticus. I've enjoyed it. Every time I do this, I get more out of it. And so um, on the Internet, I guess I repeated some of this, there's a, a website called thebibleproject.com. It seems to be awfully Christian, but that's okay. Um, they're, they're working hard at trying to make everything in the Bible more understandable by everybody. And so they've, uh, they've gone to a lot of trouble to uh, diagram different things and to try to summarize things in ways that, that are, are memorable and stuff like that. And they've done the, the Torah. And uh, you can go look at thebibleproject.com and go through it. There's a lot of stuff on there. Um, but this one is Leviticus. This is their, their way of, uh, of diagramming Leviticus. And there's a kind of a YouTube video. There is a YouTube video that goes along with this and shows how the picture works. And so I think what I'd like to do, if there aren't any questions, is we'll close. And then if you guys just want to come stand up here, I'll run it. And you can watch it and kind of just, it's, it's, it's just another take on it. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's not going to give you any wonderful revelations or anything, but it's just kind of an interesting thing to look at. Um, any, any thoughts about that? Any questions? Then let me close in prayer, and then I'll, I'll run that for you. You can just, it's, it's too hard to see from back there, so you have to kind of stand around. We still have coffee and stuff to eat, so it's a good thing. All right? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for your book of Leviticus. It's a challenge, Father God, but I love it. And I'm going to learn more from it. We're all going to learn more from it. Um, just help us to persevere and to think on these things uh, until we actually come back to the book next year. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you, Jerry.